you have a choice of what kind of story you are creating. Like you have the power over your choice of what you do every day, how you wake up, what time you wake up, what you eat, what you drink, do you exercise, who you hang out with, what do you consume? And you can live a great story. And your story can be based on the foundation of toxicity and sadness and like loss and grief, but you can still live a great story. You can still take all of that and say, what can I learn from all of this so I can take it as the ingredients and make it a great story. And I think that's what I've done with my life. Welcome back to the Live A Great Story podcast, a weekly show focused on inspiring you to live your own great story. Each episode touches on universal themes ranging from crazy adventures to overcoming adversity, making a positive impact, changing your life's course, and more important lessons that will help inspire your journey. I'm Zach Horvath, founder of Live A Great Story, and since 2014, I've been on a mission of inspiring and connecting people through stories. What started with some spray-painted street art has now grown into a worldwide movement. We are all on our own journey. No matter where we came from, what language we speak, the color of our skin, or anything that seemingly makes us different, in the end, we are all just humans living our own story. And it's up to you to be the hero of your story, which inspires other people to do the same. This podcast is all about inspiring you and your journey. If you resonate with this episode, please share it with someone who needs some inspiration too. And if you want a reminder to keep living your own great story, head to liveagreatstory.com to buy some inspiring apparel or accessories and for more stories from people just like you. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Jennifer, to the Live a Great Story podcast. We talked about this like maybe a year ago yeah. now. Like quite it was a when while. you did the podcast here, the yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely been a while and just really excited to now like bring you this full circle from also years ago now. So I think we're going to kind of jump into all of this and I know. see. I'm excited. Yeah. I've um, done a couple of podcasts. This is like the feels like the most meaningful. Oh. Yeah. Very meaningful for yeah. me too. Good. Uh, so give me a quick rundown of your version of how we met and quick. your story. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to it. So uh, let's go ahead and just kind of, I guess, before we jump into like how we met, your story, and then I guess if you want to weave in, I mean, it kind of all works really it closely together. It's so layered, I know. Like last night at story night, um, when we were supposed to talk about 2022 and then jump into 2023, I said... There's literally no way for me to talk about 2022 without going back to really 10 years. I mean, to 2013. I mean, life is a journey, right? We all have a story, but mine really started to develop in 2013 when I found my mom overdosing on heroin. So at that point in our family's life, my youngest brother was doing drugs. Like we knew that, but we were certainly not aware that my mom had transitioned from a pill addiction that she had started from Xanax and a knee surgery into something hardcore. So that was like a really tumultuous time in my life. I had just started dating the person that would then become my husband. So I got married in 2014. My mom got so my mom was sober, went to rehab and, and um, actually lived with me for a few months. It was a wonderful experience. And then I married in 2014 to um, a guy that, you know, ultimately ended up to be pretty verbally and psychologically abusive. I was not the best version of myself in that marriage either, but we got pregnant twice in 2015 and I miscarried. And then in 2016, my mom died of cancer. 
2017, I filed for separation. Our marriage was really not healthy for either of us. 2018, I filed for divorce in January. October, I had a full hysterectomy. So, you know, my chance of ever being a mom went out the window and I was old. I mean, at that point, I think I was probably 46 or something. And then a month or in November, late November, my divorce was final. And six days later, my youngest brother died of a heroin overdose. So um, it was, I was already on a spiral to nowhere. And that just was like the cherry on top of the cake, right? That, that kicked me into high gear in terms of like really destructive behavior. So in 2019, I was just a hot mess. Um, I was drinking like a raging alcoholic, you know, two bottles of wine a day, sometimes more. Um, I was never a whiskey drinker, but my husband, my ex-husband was. So like I would even have whiskey and like have a nightcap. And I mean, it was just really tragic. And um, I gained a lot of weight. I got up to 170 pounds and I was generally miserable. So it's funny how many people I tell this part of the story to that are like, what's awake? What do you mean thank you cards? And I'm like, I forget that like everyone's not Catholic and doesn't have this tradition. But in, in Catholicism, um, you know, you, you have a wake, like a service where you view the body. Sometimes it's a closed casket and then you have a funeral the next day. And it's tradition that you send out thank you cards to everybody who came, who showed up. Um, I, I love to hunt down the person that came up with this idea because the fact that when you're like in the depths of grief, you have to thank people for being decent human beings is mind-boggling to me. So why my family tasked me with this is beyond me. I'm a terrible procrastinator, but they did. So I never sent the thank you cards out from my mom's service. And I threw them away at some point. But Justin's thank you cards were still in a box behind my desk. And so it was coming up on Thanksgiving. And I thought about this last night. It was really right around this time Wow. that I was at my office one night um, and the Live a Great Story Facebook ad kept popping up in my social media feed and I kept noticing it and it was obviously triggering something in me. And so one night I clicked on it and I saw that you sold stickers and not knowing it was you at the time, right? Thinking it's like a company. And I thought that's what I'll do. I'll write a letter to everybody who showed up in the last year. I'll buy stickers. I'll include a sticker in every letter and I'll implore people to live a great story because Justin didn't get his chance. And so that's what I did. And I happen to love to write. And um, I mean, not to, you know, I, I'm a pretty good writer. And so I wrote a beautiful letter to everyone and asked everyone to show me where they put their sticker. And I just got the most amazing response. People text me and called me and emailed me, show me where they put their sticker. Young, old, I got an amazing email from a childhood friend of Justin's who's in a band telling me that Justin was the reason that he got into music. And just, it was really cool. But at some point in like, early December, I just had this like aha moment of, I am a fraud, right? Like here I'm imploring all these people to live a great story and I am doing the exact opposite. And actually back up a little bit in May, I bought a Peloton treadmill drunk one night. I literally woke up to the confirmation email and was like, wow, I just bought a $5,000 treadmill. I guess I'm going to be a runner now. So all of this kind of came together at the beginning of December and I and I had already been following sobriety communities because I already knew the way I was acting was not healthy, especially given like my experience with addiction. And so I thought, okay, like this is not sustainable. I so now you're already on my radar. Well, a friend of mine had done like the three-day Rachel Hollis, you know, personal development seminar or retreat. And so I said I signed up for that in January. And, you know, it was probably $1,500 or something. And so I signed up to do that. And I decided that I'm going to run a 5K every month 
until I can do that without stopping to walk because running made me feel like I would die and I was going to give up drinking for an entire year. And at that point, I had done dry January for many years, like for, I think, since 2015 and never had a problem. It never bothered me at all. And so I'm like, something just intuitively told me that alcohol was a roadblock to like wherever I was going to go. I was never going to get there if I was drinking with any kind of regularity. And I'm a very black and white kind of person. So to me, it's like all or nothing. So I'm like, I just, I just have to cut it out. I don't even want it to be like in the equation. So if I put that over here, then I can like pour my energy into these other things. So I actually started the 5k thing with the turkey trot in Chicago in 2019. I'm on the start line and you, we've run together. I'm on the start line. I look back on this and just laugh so hard. I'm in long underwear, fleece leggings, two pairs of socks, a long sleeve like dry fit shirt, a long sleeve wool like, you know, for camping with a hoodie and a puffer jacket and a hat and gloves. And and my average heart heart rate for that run was 191 beats per minute. And I'm confident that it was because I was layered up like I was ready for Antarctica. But um, so that was my first one. And I stood on that start line really emotional, um, trying not to like cry on the outside because I was surrounded by, I'm sure you've done a turkey trot. It's family and friends and it's the, you know, Thanksgiving morning, which is my favorite holiday. And there's so much closeness and I was alone and drowning in grief. And so fast forward into the new year of 2020, you know, I went to the three day conference, um, and it was amazing. So many of these things were just like one more thing that pushed me further and pushed me further. And I found a race in San Antonio, January and February. And then I was supposed to run the Shamrock Shuffle in March. And it was right around that time that I had emailed Live Your Great Story through the website, assuming it was a corporation. And it took you a few weeks to respond back and you finally did. And like, it turns out you're a one-man band in Austin, right? And I come here a lot because my cousin Mandy lives here. And so when the Shamrock Shuffle got canceled, I had this crazy idea. And I think it was then I said, hey, like, you wanted, or maybe you said you want to jump on a Zoom. It was one of us, but we did. And I remember it was at my office because you remember my iPad went flying at one point. I just remember your face. Now that I've gotten to know you, you just have such like a wonder in your eyes all the time. Like you just love stories. And I just remember thinking, this young kid thinks like, This crazy old hag wants to come down to Austin to meet me in person. But I was like, okay, listen, if I find a 5K that's still in person in Austin, I'll fly down for it. Like, would you meet me in person? I have an idea. And you were just like, okay. And so I did. I found a live race. It was some random race out in the suburbs. I contacted the race director to make sure it wasn't going to get canceled because like that was right when COVID was about to, and none of us knew it was coming, right? So we're thinking it's going to be a couple weeks. And she said, no, no, we've gotten permission to have it in person. So I did. I came into town. I ran that 5K and you and I met for the first time. So that like, that's kind of how we got to the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) That was at the beginning of 2020. So Yes. Right before the world shut down. Yeah. And we met up and we went to the The coffee shop. We we went to the mural and we went to the coffee shop. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, yeah, there's a lot of elements to this story that like, I, there's so many pieces to this. I know, it's so hard to keep it short. Yeah. Um, there's obviously multiple deaths, there's your sobriety, there's the running, there's our connection, there's the live a great story side, there's so many different pieces. Um, and so I think we can just like 
I'm curious to see where this conversation goes and yeah. just kind of kind of keep diving into it because similarly to how you found Live a Great Story at this kind of pivotal moment of uh, grief, of life changes, of health, of destructive behavior, you know, a lot of other people find Live a Great Story in one of those times. There's mm-hmm. kind of people find Live a Great Story in the negative times of their life and they find it in the really positive times. Yeah. And sometimes it goes to both. Sometimes they go from the positive to the negative or in the uh, vice versa. And so I think that your story is really powerful and can inspire so many people because it touches on so many of these deep t- themes that life, we all experience in life. Yeah. Like, these are very common. Most people ex- just don't talk about it. Yeah, most people don't yeah. talk about it. They maybe aren't able to find other people that have gone through it. They're struggling in silence or by themselves. So... Um, you know, I think that your story is really powerful. And I think one thing that's really amazing and, and actually how like the continuation of this, because yeah, you were, what you did, you know, you went through this really hard time of your life and like a, a significant season of your life, like multiple years and difficulties aplenty. And then you were able to harness that and apply it to good and to like a, to a, a, a new project, a new idea, and to take all of your pain and try to make a positive impact with that. Yeah. So tell me so a little next bit about chapter, the next yeah. chapter yeah, since yeah. then. I have so and, many things going through my yeah. mind right now. It's cool. And, and last night, Lauren and I talked a lot about this. We stayed up kind of late. Um, so the next step. So in, in that early part of 2020, right around the time that I would have sent you that email, I had started my own Facebook sobriety group for 2020, like a challenge. And there were probably like 300 and some people in there that signed up to give up alcohol for the whole year. And it was just a place where I started posting my thoughts. And like I said, I love to write. So I really, I got a lot out of that, like pouring my heart into this private group. Um, and I follow this page called Running Motivation Group. And it has, I don't even know how many members it has now, but like hundreds of thousands, right? And I see a guy's post and I mean, there are thousands of posts a day. So the fact that I saw this one, Needle in a Haystack, I think what probably caught my eye was his picture. He resembles my brother like just enough that it stopped me and then I read it and he was a heroin addict, he's recovered. And so I wanted to share his story in my group, but I obviously would not have copied and pasted his words. Um, Given that I like respect the written word, you can do that online. I'm sure people do it all the time, but I wouldn't have done that. So I private messaged him and his name is Glenn. And he responded right away and said, you know, of course you can share my story in your group if you think it would help someone. But also, I think you might be interested in this group that I run for. I fundraise for Heron Project. It's a nonprofit substance use disorder organization on the East Coast. And um, I think this might be a really good fit for you. So so I tie that into my story, right? I, I, I get connected with Heron Project and I start running and fundraising in my brother's name. So I had like... I'm a little bit OCD. So I had registered for like pretty much the entire year of races. Needless to say, so many of them got canceled, but you're able to like run your own race for Heron Project. So I could fundraise. And even though it wasn't like a Heron Project bib, I was still fundraising in Justin's honor for every race I was able to do. So um, we looped that into it. And then you and I connected. And then I just happened to be at a coffee roaster in the city uh, called Passion House, a boutique coffee roaster for a client. That's what I do in Coffee is a Moss. That's what I do in Chicago. I, I'm a vending and coffee service provider. And I had a client looking for a locally roasted coffee. And so in, in that meeting, 
talking to them. And then I was talking with my private label coffee roaster down state, separate. This idea was born of like, oh, maybe I could actually have an ongoing fundraiser for in my brother's name where I can give back to Heron Project in Justin's name. And it doesn't have to be tied to me running in races. Because it's hard to ask people to donate money because you're running, right? Like It's like a one-time thing, okay. But I can't hound these people every year to donate because I'm running a 5K. I mean, let's be honest, as a runner, that's what you do for 30 minutes, five days a week, just because you love it. So I wanted to like find a vehicle to raise money that could be something that would go on in perpetuity. And so when I was at my private label roaster downstate, he, I told him this story and he said, hey, maybe because we were doing a bag redesign. And I, he said, maybe we can do something with this, with your Heron Project and live a great story and running. And you can donate like a percentage of your net proceeds from Fox Roasters back to Heron Project. And I'm like, that's a great idea, right? So that ball gets rolling. And that's when you and I start talking. Like, I'm going to put a sticker in every case of coffee. And then the the Dragon Oil portion of it is just the real, you know, passion um project for me that started at the passion house coffee roaster because fox roasters is one thing i sell that to my vending clients but i really wanted something to get out to like people everywhere and um because you're telling stories i love telling stories i could sit here for five hours sitting at that roaster i just had this thought in my mind like wait a minute i could i could come up with a a private label or a boutique coffee that's premium coffee like rivaling a Starbucks or an Intelligentsia and sell on the internet, you know, to people all over and donate a dollar from every bag. That's significant. And that could be something I could do forever, no matter what. I could retire and still keep that going and then have the money go into a, a scholarship in my brother's name where people that can't afford to get help because treatment's super expensive and a lot of people don't get help for that reason. And then Justin's death won't be in vain. That like we'll raise money forever and even if we just help one person, even if we only sell a thousand bags a year and it takes 10 years to send one person to treatment, we could say one life in my brother's name, like that would be amazing. And it would, it would help me know that even though I'm always going to miss him and there's always going to be a hole in my heart, I know that like he can be proud that all of his struggles weren't just lost the day that he left this earth and that he his life would have meant something more. I don't want to get emotional, but mm-hmm. so the dragon oil name actually comes from a really cool place for 20 years. I always assumed I'd be a mom and we had a magnolia tree in our backyard and which is beautiful. And I loved it. So when I moved out of the house, my mom would always call me and let me know when it was in bloom. And in Chicago, it's very windy at that time of year. So those blooms are very fragile and they often don't last long. So she would call me and say, and I never left Chicago. I went to college in the city and and she would say, honey, the magnolia trees in bloom, you better come out before the blooms are all gone. So it would always be a special time that she and I would sit in our backyard and talk. And we had a very tumultuous relationship because of her addictions. And so that's a really special memory I have because I have a lot of dark ones too. So the magnolia tree was always special for that. And so I always thought if I had a girl, I would name her Nolia as a nod to that special memory, so like, like N-O-L-I-A. And I really never told anybody that because I never wanted somebody to steal the name. And I personally think it's beautiful. So now that I will not have kids, you're welcome to, anybody's welcome to take it. But so the Noya of Dragonolia comes from that. And then the day Justin died, we were actually driving to the luncheon and his partner, the person who found him actually, I overheard her telling my cousin Mandy, who lives here, who was in my car, 
that Justin thought that the dragonfly was his spirit animal because the last time he was in treatment, somebody had told him about the spiritual, like, thoughts behind a dragonfly and then he went out to write in his journal and he was surrounded by a swarm of dragonflies so like from that point forward and our mom had passed away so like from that point forward he felt like that was like his angel looking over him and he had gotten a dragonfly tattoo on his leg i never saw it actually he got it the summer the year he died and i have a dragonfly tattoo on my ankle in that so um dragonoia comes from those two things for my brother and my mom both who struggled terribly with addiction and so that name was born and the idea for the bag was born, and I'm so glad. I've had this on my um, bulletin board in my office, so I shared this idea with you when we met, and you were so gracious. You, you sent me stickers for free up until recently, actually. Like, I'm like, you can't keep like giving me free stickers. I'll print my own. But this postcard says, Jennifer, thanks so much for your support and excitement. Excited to see the coffee bag idea come to life. Look forward to all good things ahead. And you sent that to me in 2020. Crazy. And here we are. I know. And like from an idea to the bag, which I'm like completely in love with. And you really, I mean, you helped with this. I would send you iterations of the design and you would help with ideas and, you know, a, a bit of Justin stories on the back, your logos on the back, Karen projects on the back. And there's two blends. One's Serenity Granted in honor of Justin, whose name was Justin Grant and the Serenity Prayer. And then the other is Grateful Lee and, um, you know, it's all around gratitude. This started in the month of gratitude in November and my mom's middle name and my middle name is Lee. So, but there's just a lot of like the iridescent design of the background of this bag was actually a plaster backdrop in a hotel I stayed at in um, October of, or November of 2020 when I ran my second half marathon. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to the designer. I'm like, that's the background of the bag. Like there was just a lot of thought put into it. And so um, that's how we got here. So we've been, actually, I'll back up a little bit. So the coffee part felt good, but it also felt like it was, it was just selling coffee. That's what I do. I'm like, there's some, there's something more to this. This is supposed to be more than me just selling coffee. And so through just a lot of brainstorming with you, with the designers that I'm partnered with, John and Nicole, I came to realize that when I started sharing my story on my public personal Facebook page. I wasn't really doing Instagram a lot at the time, but I was sharing a lot of personal stuff and not, not like stories that aren't pretty about me. And the amount of feedback I started getting from people, I mean, still today, I probably get a message a month from a total stranger somewhere in the world saying, hey, I just want to let you know um, this story moved me for X, Y, Z, or because of you, I got sober or I, like it blows my mind. But the stories have come from strangers, from people I know in life, like from people I went to high school with that I never knew had a problem and people who are still anonymous. And I started to really think about the whole anonymity part of AA and addiction. And I started to think about my comfort in sharing my story, even the ugly parts. And that's been a big bone of contention in my family because my family members don't share that same sentiment. So they don't appreciate that I share so openly because a lot of my stories have to do with them. But I recognize that sharing the story is super powerful and it helps give a voice to people that have no idea how to talk about their problems or their struggles or what goes on in their head on a hamster wheel every day. And that's where the Instagram community came in. And I really started using Instagram then. And I realized that's what this is supposed to be. So when we were developing the Dragonolia website, 
I, I went to my favorite restaurant in the city one day. I had like a break between appointments and I sat down and this designer had said, send me some examples of websites that you like, like the feel of them so we know what direction you want to go. And I found, oh, I just typed in something like the most beautiful websites or 10 most beautiful websites. And one came up and I, it's a Japanese website. It's all in Japanese. I, I don't, I don't know what it's for. It's like furniture design or architecture or something, but the design of it, it scrolls and there's like little um, thumbnails of pictures of furniture. And it, that it just, it was again, another aha moment. Like that's it. This is what it's supposed to be. Those icons, those little thumbnails would be people's pictures. And when you clicked on them, you would be able to read their story. And if we can get out there and get other people like me who are in recovery or have, have a story about recovery, and it doesn't have to be addiction, right? That there are lots of people that don't drink alcohol and they don't consider themselves an alcoholic. If we could get people to bravely share their story, because I've been following these sobriety sites and they inspired me. So if I can develop this community where there are people that look just like you and me sharing their stories bravely about their, how they hit their rock bottom or what drove them to get sober. And then somebody else can find us and just be able to go peruse our page for free and read inspiring stories. That kind of impact, you know, if I, and maybe I'll never know how many people it's touched. And that's okay. Because the amount of people that have reached out to me has been enough. If nobody ever reached out to me again, I'm like, the amount of messages I have have been incredible. And so that's what we did. So yes, we sell coffee, but our focus has been equally, if not more so weighted in reaching out to people who are sharing and getting them to come to our community to share so that people have a, a place where they can go and always find a story where they see themselves in that story. And there's a wide variety of stories on there from like, wealthy suburban moms to like, you know, guys like my brother and everything in between. And we just, we just recently have started to reach out to people. Um, and actually it's something you and I can talk about too, given that you've done us over here, I'm interested to hear like where you plan to go with it. But I have several friends who never identified as an addict that don't drink, that gave up for health reasons or whatever, and just never went back. And I've shared this with you. I did go back to drinking. Um, I, I did dry January in 2021 and then slowly it, you know, crept back into my life. And I, we talked this year and sometime what mid year, I think you were going out of country and you kind of said like, I was, you know, I was thinking like, maybe it'll just be an in the United States thing. And if I go out of States, I can drink, but I'll just come back. And I was like, no, don't do it. And you kind of said, right. You were like, I was going to actually ask you that. And, and I wish I had gotten up last night to say this part of it because somebody specifically asked, I still don't identify as an alcoholic, but I don't think that that is the point. And, and I could sit here and say, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Like to me, that doesn't matter. And that's what I've come these last two years have been a real journey and that almost one I didn't realize I was on necessarily, but I wish I never went back. 2020 was so easy. It was the best year of my life. Now, most people in the world are not saying 2020 was the best year of their life. In fact, most people say it was the worst year of their life for numerous reasons. More people than not ramped up their drinking. More people than not developed a problem with drinking in 2020. The amount of people that said to me, you picked a real bad year to quit drinking, right? And I'm like, um, I think I picked the best year because had I been drinking the way I was drinking, rolling into COVID, maybe it would have killed me. Like, I don't know what would have happened. And I just did a podcast with Dan Carity, actually, who said he had had a problem for a long time, but was able to like ignore it or justify it away. But COVID was what 
drove him into his own rock bottom and got him sober. And now he's like, has his own podcast, if I'm being honest, and he talks about it all the time. And so it's like, what these last two years have taught me is I have 2020, sober, thriving, best shape of my life, happier than I've ever been mentally. I met all these wonderful people. All of my friendships, almost all of them have changed and nothing to, nothing to say negative about the people that have been my friends for decades. Just realizing that I was surrounding myself with people that were not making me reach for more. So 2020 changed that. And then I glide into 2021 and that was still kind of a transition. COVID still going on. I'm running a business. It's all just a weird time for everyone. And now in 2022, things have kind of gotten back to normal. Alcohol is more of a part of my narrative. I've gained 20 pounds back, you know, all the things. And I'm like, I have that juxtaposition of 2020 and 2022. And there's no denying it. Now I can see very clearly what it looks like. And now I know I want to go back, right? And so I have a therapist, a big, big proponent of therapy. And I think more people need to talk about it, right? Instead of just going to their therapist in secret. And she and I, she's in recovery herself. She's very close to my age. She was actually the um, interventionist we used for Justin the last time. And so I knew who she was. And she has been a game changer in my life. I've been in therapy for a long time, but I, I moved to her this year and she's really helped me process a lot of stuff. And what she said to me is, I want you to stop focusing on alcohol. Your whole life has been hyper-focused on addiction and AA and recovery and it's exhausting. She said, I want you to start focusing on the life that you want to live. And if you do that, she's like, I think you have a priority problem. And, you know, I was spoiled growing up. Like, I fully admit that. And so I've always kind of had like a golden parachute. She's like, you need to take responsibility for your life. You have a priority problem. You hit your fuck it button way too often. And that fucking button for you is going next door for drinks and dinner instead of getting that run in or whatever. She's like, I don't think you have an alcohol problem. I think you have a priority problem. And I think that you need to figure out what kind of life that you want to live. And then I think you need to start living it. And stop and start being honest with yourself. And so I, I actually, I'm, I'm doing this event. I have a goal for next year. So we talked about this last night, story night. I'm doing 29029, which is an event that's been on my radar since 2020. It's an endurance event where you climb a mountain. The amount of times it takes for you to have climbed the equivalent of the um, altitude of Everest, which is 29,029 feet. And so you climb up and gondola down and you have 36 hours to finish. And so... Scary, right? I know I just did an event called Hell on the Hill and I was like, holy shit, that was harder than anything I've ever done. Both marathons, hiked to Machu Picchu, like the whole deal. And so obviously 29, oh, 29 is going to be brutally hard. And so what I realize is, and I won this, by the way, it's a $5,000 endurance event and I ended up winning this ticket. That's a story that we don't need to tell. But so I thought, man, if I'm not in the best shape of my life, because the last lap, you get a red bib and a red hat if you, when you finish. So if I go to this event and it was free, so even more so, right? Like that's a slap in the face to every other person who would have loved it and who would have prepared. So if I don't do everything I can to be in the best shape of my life for my 50th freaking birthday and I don't finish, I don't know if I'll ever be able to shed the weight of the shame that I will carry because of that. But if I do everything I can, which means no alcohol, getting back to the shape I was in, really focusing on my mental health, and I go into that event, I know I'm going to finish. I know no, there's nothing's going to keep me from finishing. But if I don't, for whatever reason, 
I won't have shame because I will have known, I learned this from Jesse Itzler, I will have known that I emptied the tank on that mountain, right? So like Hell on the Hill was a half marathon on a hill. So 65 laps or four hours, either or. And I went into that event thinking, I'm going to finish no problem. Like, no problem because I've got it here. Like my brain is, I'm a, I'm a, you know, commit and it's done kind of person. I definitely underestimated how hard this was going to be for sure. And so it's 65 laps on this freaking hill. And down is hard too. So it's like, you're, there's never, there was literally maybe 30, not even 10 seconds of flat. Cause even at the top, it was a little bit of an incline before you went down. It was relentless, relentless hard work. And when you had five laps to go, you got a fluorescent green wristband. And I went into the event thinking, all I care about is finishing. But then once I got to the event, I'm like, no, I, I, I got to finish. It was so hard that about halfway through, I was already negotiating in my head, like, you know what? The fluorescent wristband's enough, right? There's a DJ over here and he's screaming out, he's screaming out the time and he's, you know, revving everybody up. And Jesse Itzler's got cheerleaders at the top, cheerleaders at the bottom. I'm wearing a Wonder Woman tank top. So there's a woman at the bottom. She was a freaking amazing. She literally said, go Wonder Woman every single time I crossed her. And it was one of those like head down, just one foot in front of the other. Don't freaking stop. And there's a guy, he's a, he's a coach. Uh, his name is Chris Health. And I, he was a coach for me for a couple months. And what I got out of working with him was that I don't care about being an endurance athlete. I told him that when I met him. He's, he's awesome, but like I'm not that hardcore athlete level. He stood midway up that hill. And I would listen to him cheerlead every other person on that hill. And he never said a word to me. And I had that fluorescent green wristband. And something flipped in my mind. With an hour left, I thought, holy shit. I'm like looking at my watch and I'm thinking, if I freaking hump it, I could finish. I could finish. And every time I passed him, it would just be quiet. Nice work, Jen. Next time. You got this, Jen. Next time. Way to go, Jen. I'm not kidding you. I, I would like every time I passed him, I never looked at him, never met eyes, never high fought, nothing. Just head down. And every time I passed him, it was some subtle thing. And I freaking negative split the last three miles of that event to finish the half marathon with like two minutes to spare. And I like laid down, I laid out. I was like, holy shit, that was amazing. And so like to say I'm pumped about 29029 would be a gigantic understatement. But I just know like this is the universe speaking to me. And the universe has given me all the tools. Shame on me. Shame on me. If I don't put everything I've done for the last two years together into the equation of like going into 2023 on the path that I know damn well I need to be on. So I'm like super pumped. So that's pretty much it. I don't know. I mean, I can tell you, I got 20 more stories, but. <laughs> Let me pause real right. quick to make sure we're still. <sighs> okay. So that's it. I don't know. Dig in. I mean, there's, and there's more, right? But that's like, that's been the path. Something cool that Lauren and I talked about last night was I have a, a pretty tumultuous relationship with my dad too. Um, I love my father dearly. We work together. It's been 22 years. So that's hard. Anybody who's worked with family knows. And especially, for, you know, the transition from first generation to second, I'm never going to know what that feels like, but I can only imagine my dad had nothing. He came from nothing. He, he got his GED in the army. 
He, he was a route man for Aramark. He started Fox Vending 60 years ago with one cigarette machine in the corner of a bar on the south side of Chicago. Boom. I mean, and here we are. And we're, well, pre-COVID, we were a $6 million company a year. He has a lot to be proud of, right? He built that with nothing. No formal education, no business experience, pure grit, street smarts. Like, you know, this kid from the south side, my grandfather came from Ireland. He died when my, my dad was a teenager and he was, you know, my, he, like a, blood clot to the heart, I believe, her lungs. And my mom was like, you know, a gritty, hardcore working German, but she was like never allowed to drive until her husband died. And then like my dad's older brother had to teach her, you know, back then, like my dad was born in 1938, he's 84. And so that's, it's been tough. That transition has been really tough. It's hard for him to let his baby go. He's, he's, a you know, he has a bit of like natural male chauvinism for someone his age. It's not disrespectful. It's just who he is. Like, and so we've, We've knocked heads a lot, you know? And I talked to Lauren and had kind of an, an aha, a cool, like I wrote it down. That first time he yelled at me was like a seed was planted. And I was too insecure and with low self-esteem from my own family upbringing that I let that seed grow. And so every time we've gotten into a fight over 22 years, it's like weeds have grown around my heart and it's taken over. And what 2000, what Justin Dine did was literally like send me to my rock bottom. And what the last two years has been for me is literally like cutting the weeds out of my soul. And that to me was profound to think about it that way. Like for 22 years, we've had this tumultuous relationship. I probably should have moved on from Fox Vending. But I didn't have the confidence or the self-esteem to do that. So I stayed in an unhealthy situation and it's become toxic for both of us, you know? And so me like breaking those chains and like I said, it's just like, like weeds have taken over. Me the last two years is like, oh my God, that's why I felt so free in 2020. It's like I like weeded my garden and allowing alcohol back into my life allowed a lot of negative stuff back into my life and the weeds started to grow again. And so I just, that visual for me in my mind, talking to my friend last night, I was like, oh, I got to write that down. Like, that's amazing. I can see that. That makes sense to me. And I'm like so pumped about where the next chapter goes and the next chapter goes. Chapter, no, not being a pun because I want to write a book. Like it's really sat on my heart for a long time. And I'm super excited to know, like, I, I know what I need to do. It's a clear path. And like I said, if I don't, if I don't take that clear path, shame on me. I have no one to blame. Like I feel in my heart that Dragonoia is supposed to be something. The amount of responses we get from everyone who share and everyone who reaches out through Dragonoia, the community, not to me personally. I don't, I let somebody else handle the, you know, the stories and stuff. So I read them organically just like you. But I feel like it's a powerful place where we're going to get people to feel brave enough to tell their story. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I've always looked at AA as something that failed three members of my family. And it wasn't until I found Heron Project that I saw AA help people, right? And what I realized through that process is what I don't like about AA is the anonymity of it. Now, I understand everybody, everybody is, has the right to not share their story for sure. But what I think that does is it, it perpetuates the shame that keeps people in the shame spiral. And that keeps people sick. And I watched it in my own family. Um, so two of those people are gone. And my mom suffered with the most shame. And it 
looking back, it was tragic to watch. It was so sad to watch somebody so beautiful. My mom was beautiful. And I don't mean that just physically. She was physically beautiful, but she was beautiful in her heart. She was the kindest person. Like I went to high school in the city. I grew up on the South side. I went to a college prep, which was a very hard high school. I was not an academic. I literally barely got in and I'm fairly certain that they probably looked at my dad's financials. It was the greatest decision I ever made as a young adult because the only reason I went there was to get out of my neighborhood and away from the girls that were gossipy because I wasn't raised that way and I never saw that. I never saw my mom talk about people. She never, she would sit on the phone for hours. Think about the old phones, right? She would sit on the phone for hours with her girlfriends and roar laughter, telling stories, but they were funny stories or like anecdotal, like life stories. Never did I hear my mom talk badly about another human. And my father was busy running a business. So that kind of behavior that I experienced with like the mean girls, that just wasn't something that I, that would have ever been tolerated. And so I went to high school in the city to get away from it, which I'm like super grateful for. And so my mom was just a wonderful, kind person. She was hardworking. She kept the house. She cooked every meal. She home cooked every meal. I I miss her Thanksgiving and Christmas meals so much. Um, And to watch her life go from unhappy marriage, abusing alcohol, to Xanax because she filed for divorce from my dad, to blowing out her knee and getting hooked on Oxy, to Norco, to a pill problem, to not being able to afford $20 Norco pills on the street from a dealer to snorting heroin because my brother convinced her it was the same. And I suppose technically it is. And that's why we have a gigantic heroin problem right now because Oxycontin created it and people can't afford it and doctors are in the know so they can't get their pills. I mean, you can read story after story after story about middle-aged Americans, perfectly healthy, non-addicted middle-aged Americans blowing out their knee, blowing out their back, having a surgery, following the the um, the instructions from their doctor, right, that they trust, and then getting hooked on pills and spiraling down and not being able to get enough because what Oxy does is it actually creates more pain and then having to go to heroin because it's cheap and it's accessible. So that happened to my mom. That could happen to my 68-year-old smart mom who like started a gymnastics center with zero gymnastics experience just because she didn't want to have to drive her kids my sister and I, an hour both way to gymnastics six days a week. Like that, she was that kind of person, literally. An entrepreneur also with zero college experience or education. So to watch her life and what it could have been and then realize that shame robbed that of her and had we had an environment like we have now with social media where you can find people that look just like you sharing their story that will literally make you say, wait a minute. I don't need to feel ashamed of this. I don't need to fake it till I make it. I don't need to go out into the world and pretend like everything's okay. Like I can actually say, yeah, I'm a wonderful person. I'm beautiful. I run a business. I'm a great mom. I'm a good wife. I keep an amazing home. I throw amazing, I'm an amazing hostess. I do, I'm funny. I'm kind. I'm generous. I'm stylish. And I drink too much. Right? And had she been able to get there, I think that my mom would have been able to quit smoking and maybe she'd still be here today. Like, I miss her. I miss the mom that I remember when she was sober because when she was sober, she was magic. And so my my motivation is really for both of them. Justin's death really crushed me. Like, you think he had overdosed. 
I don't know, at least 10 times that I knew of. Um, so probably far, far more. Um, you think you're ready for that? Um, I, I certainly did. I, I often thought we would all just be better off if he would just overdose and die so he could mourn and go on. Um, he had been sober the majority of the year. I was really the only person in the family that drew a hard line with him when he was using. So the only thing I would ever give him was I would buy him a meal. Like I wouldn't give him money for a meal. I wouldn't give him money for cigarettes. I wouldn't buy him cigarettes. I would give him nothing, but I would buy him a meal. So he knew never to even ask me. He, I wouldn't let him stay in my house, nothing. But that last year, he was doing really well. And so um, we, we'd spent time together. I let him stay with me that summer. It was an amazing memory. And I, I no coincidences, right? Like, um, what did I just, I said this quote last night. I just heard it from my friend Jolene. Coincidence are God's way of staying anonymous, which I love. I don't know if you believe in God or not. But um, so I think like that year, there were a lot of special moments I had with him, including showing up for him the day before he died in court where he was, you know, had a drug possession charge and it feels like he was always in court for something and being able to be there for him, which I had not been. I never visited him in jail. He was in jail multiple times. I have a letter that he wrote to me. It'll, it'll choke me up. Um, I don't know why I keep it. I can't seem to get, I can't bring myself to get rid of it, but it was a letter he wrote to me in jail and it was just basically like, you know, Hey, how are you? Haven't heard from you. I hope you're well. And I, I just couldn't bring myself because I was so angry at him for all the toxicity he brought into our family and the darkness. Um, that was before I knew that he and my mom were doing heroin together. But so we got to spend a lot of special time together. And so for me, this opportunity to dedicate the rest of my life, um, my life was not meant to sling pop and snacks. Like I don't even drink soda and eat that crap that I'm selling. It makes me feel kind of like a drug dealer myself, to be honest. Whole other story. But to be able to say, this is what I'm meant to do. I've always felt comfortable sharing my story. I obviously am not short-winded. And it feels really good to know that all of this pain that I felt in my life can be put to a better purpose. You know, and we haven't even touched on like my own personal pain of like sexual assault and all of these things. Like there have been a lot of things that have happened in my life. And um, for some reason I have, I, I've always had this kind of like sink or swim mentality. I feel like my parents taught us that when we were little. I, I can't pinpoint where I heard that. But in my mind, I've always attacked a thing that might take somebody else down as a you sink or swim. Like, what am I going to do? Is, is this going to define me for the rest of my life? Or am I just going to like put purpose to my pain? So, you know, I've, I drove out to Colorado and confronted the, the family friend that sexually assaulted me. Like, who does that? I, I drove to his ranch in the middle of nowhere in Colorado and sat there and waited for him to come home. And he was probably 85 at that time. And he didn't recognize me. You know, it happened when I was a summer for my senior in high school. And he, he walked up to my car and said, can I help you, little lady? You know, like with the, the uh, like, I mean, he was a full on rancher, like he had a working ranch and we, we traveled there as kids my whole life. And so he was like a grandpa to me. And I said, you don't recognize me, do you? And he said, no, ma'am, I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm Jimmy Fox's daughter. And he just kind of looked at me and I was with a friend, a friend had gone with me on the trip. And I said, can I talk to you for a minute? And he said, sure. And we sat in the very kitchen where it happened and I mean, he could have told me I was batshit crazy, get the F off of my ranch and don't ever come back, right? And he didn't. He didn't. He um, he didn't really remember it, but he did apologize and cry and say, I'm sorry, I don't know why I did that to you. And I cried and told him that he 
really destroyed my life. I mean, he really destroyed my ability to have good relationships with men. I was a total commitment phobe. I mean, all of that. And I drove off that ranch with forgiveness in my heart and never, it was done, right? So there's been a lot of that kind of stuff. And so this, this whole project to me, and I hope it grows in a way that perhaps it will even include people that have survived more than just addiction to alcohol or drugs. And so I have a friend right now, like I said, a friend that ended up in sobriety, not because of addiction, but because she had health problems. And she basically, it was kind of like elimination, right? She eliminated all foods and then reintroduced and just never reintroduced alcohol. And she's writing her story for the page right now, because I really want to send this message out more than anything else. Whether you identify as an alcoholic is so irrelevant for most people in this equation. It really is. What is, what does it matter? I feel like that identity is what keeps people sick because nobody wants to call themselves an alcoholic. Do you want to say that you're an addict? No. Like you feel like a loser. You feel like a failure in life. You feel broken. Like why can't I drink normally? Why does it have to be that? I feel like if we switched that and just ask this question, like, is alcohol serving you? Is alcohol serving you in your life? Are you happy? Do you like the way it makes you feel? There are plenty of people that drink alcohol in a healthy way that would answer all of those questions as, yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I have two glasses of wine at dinner once a week. I don't, I don't get hungover. I don't ever abuse alcohol. But if you ask yourself all of those questions and the answer is, well, maybe not. No. Like if I answered those questions, I asked myself those questions. Is alcohol, did alcohol serve me in 2021 and 2022? Unequivocally. The answer is no. No, it did not. So to me, does it matter? I could sit here and say, okay, I think maybe I'm an alcoholic. I, it just doesn't matter. I think the more honest question for myself is that doesn't matter. Like don't hide behind. I'm not an alcoholic, so it's fine. Well, the next question you, you have to ask, then fine, it's not, but is it serving you? Are you happier? Are you healthier? No, I'm not happier. I'm not healthier. I've gained weight because of it. I work out less. It steals time. All the things we've talked about, I've written about. If you eliminate it, and I'd say more than a month, right? Because dry, dry January is it's fairly easy. If you can't do dry January, you definitely have a problem, right? Like for sure, you should just re resign yourself to that fact. Okay. Make it three months. Measurable. That's a measurable amount of time. 90 minutes. And every day journal things that you notice about your life because you're not drinking. One of the most eye-opening things for me in 2020 was time. The amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. No, we don't. If you're drinking alcohol on a regular basis, you don't have 24 hours. You have 16 hours because the amount of time it robs you in the morning because you're sluggish, during the day because you're foggy, after work because you're not making time to exercise or journal or spend time with your kids at the park or whatever, you're going to dinner and having drinks or you're having drinks at a bar or whatever you're doing, like it sucks hours out of every single day. And we only had like, Jesse, it's, I got to share this speech with you that I, I went and heard him talk in Atlanta recently. And it was amazing. I don't know if you watched it. I shared it on my stories, but then pulled it down. Cause I was like, I don't know if he'd want me to share like his entire speech that people pay for on my IG, but he talks about time. And when you really break out, like sleep, eat, work, the amount of time you have left, it's pretty small. And when I sat in the audience and just went, that's just another reinforcement for what I'm talking about, because it's not a lot. And then you're going to spend it drinking alcohol, which is such a useless endeavor. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm really proud of like, I'm really proud of what we've done together. Um, and 
I so appreciate your support and like my whole journey, this total stranger two years ago. But I'm just really proud of being able to make sure that my mom and brother didn't suffer in real time, that their suffering can be put to use so other people don't have to suffer and can maybe turn their life around. And like I said, I've already, I've already received countless messages from people saying thank you and that's enough. And I know that if I just keep going on that path, there'll be more and more. And I freaking love helping people. Like it's, it's kind of magical to know that just by you being honest about all of your truth, you can inspire somebody else to find a better place. Kind of amazing. I don't know. I like, I, I secretly want to take a smidge of credit for perhaps inspiring you to go a whole year. For sure. Oh, for sure. When you told me, I was like, yes. Yeah. And not only stopping, but continuing to keep going and the travel abroad idea, um, you were like, I quit. And then I went back and I wish I wouldn't have gone back. And you just like, you very distinctly said that to me and that for sure stuck with me. And I was like, okay, that's like, a very real world example of someone yeah. that is giving me advice based off of their experience that I can directly apply. Yeah. And so I didn't drink uh, on that Europe trip. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I feel like regret is a useless emotion. Um, I really do. It doesn't do anything but just make you feel bad about yourself. So I feel like what people are missing is, yeah, we all have a story right? Like I have a super sad story, but I don't feel bad about it because I know that every other person has their own sad story and maybe they're just not telling it. But, you know, we can take what's happened in our life and really dig in there to find like there's a meaning in there somewhere. Rachel Hall. So I'm dropping all of these like inspirational, motivational people, but they've all had a part in the last two years. I went to her conference and at her conference, she actually turned something that I've said my whole life. Everything happens for a reason. And she said, I hate that saying because her brother committed suicide and I think she's the one that found him. And she was like, no, screw that. There's a reason for that? Like, what reason? And I sat in that audience, a broken soul, a broken, broken soul. And she says, I say, you can find meaning in everything. And that switch in my brain, I'm like, that makes sense to me. And I've been doing that ever since. Two things I took away from that, that conference, three things. Claim your word for the year, which I did sobbing like a blubbering idiot in the audience surrounded by like 4,500 women. I was like, unstoppable. (laughs) And they're like, what's your word? Anyway, um, and you can find meaning in everything. And if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And you can find meaning in everything. That's a hard one sometimes, right? Because people are like, what can I find? This was a terrible thing. But you can. And being able to take all the bad things and being like, okay, what's the meaning? What's the meaning? What's the meaning? And these last two years, I don't, I don't want to regret going back to drinking. If I had one regret though in my life, maybe that would be it because I really wish I never did. But instead now I'm going to look at it and say, okay, I'm, you're not going to regret that because what did it do? It gave you the last two years, which taught you without a doubt, beyond a shadow, that 2020 was the best year of your life. And there is one reason why, because the only thing that is different about 2021 2022 is alcohol. I still eat the same. I still exercise the same. I still ran a marathon this year. I still ran a half marathon this year. I still went to personal development things. I still did all, I still worked. I still, you know, built Dragon. I I still did all the things. 
what is the one thing that I changed? I started drinking again. So how can I regret it, right? It's just great listening to you because you just are so passionate and so you just keep going and can talk and flow ideas together yeah. really well. I mean, like Dragonolia and all the stories that you keep talking about that you're sharing and the way that stories can impact people and, you know, you have communities and you have micro, bigger, and but stories just have this like rippling effect. And they so um, I think it's really cool that you identified something that you can do forever, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, you're like, if this, if we didn't, you know, we sell a thousand bags a year and we, and it takes 10 years or whatever to send somebody to treatment and we can have one person, then that's enough. Mm -hmm. And then that vision, even at kind of maybe a lower expectation or outlook than you have, then, then the upside of it, right? Even if like a base minimum, you're like, that's cool. If I do this for 10 years and that's what happens, it's worth it. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing because then that can keep you going. You have a why, you have mm -hmm. a passion for something, you have, you know, a history to keep pushing you forward with it. And that can, you can stick with that. And it's just like those small chunks. Like every story just che checks off mm -hmm. a little bit more, like chunks off a little bit more. And that makes an impact on people. You see it, you don't see it, but you're just like, no, nah, I'm gonna keep going. Yeah. I'm building this, you know, the dragonfly, the Nolia, the mom, brother, yourself. It's like, that's enough of a, a mixture to keep you propelling towards a vision of making an impact. And I think that's really inspiring because sometimes people think that they need something really big or that things happen really quickly and that, and, and it's like, For sure. like, what does it look like on a 10 year horizon? And how do you slow something down where it's not like you're going to become famous overnight? You're right. not going to make a, you're not going to retire by next year, right? You're not going to change the world or start a business or whatever it is, build a career so quickly. It's like, no, how can each of us find something that inspires us, that motivates us, that gives us energy to just pursue for a lifetime. It's, right. it's an art, it's a craft, it's a vision, it's an expression that even if it never makes money, even if it doesn't, you know, have the, like, what can we just keep doing that fuels us from the inside that is aligned with ourselves and just start going. You know, and I was that person. I think all of us are. I mean, in this world of like instant gratification, right? We, it's, we just kind of subtly became that way. I mean, I'm older than you significantly. Um, so that wasn't really the case when I was younger, but that's just happened so, I mean, technology's happened so quickly. For perspective, I graduated college. I went back at 23, graduated at 26. So I graduated in 99. When I graduated school for graphic design, by the way, there was no web development. I had, did not take a single web development course. In my photography, I was in the dark room. There was no digital photography yet. That wasn't that long ago. So the like uh, the way we've grown that part of our lives has happened so quickly in a very destructive way in reality, not that we could have ever slowed that freight train down, but in retrospect, you can see that it's not necessarily been the most healthy thing for us, right, as a, as a race, as a human race. But we do have that feeling that things should be moving faster. This should have been more successful. I should have more followers on IG. When it first started... 
I sensed that in myself, like that I had this unrealistic expectation. I don't have money to pour into this. Like I don't have $20,000 a month to put into Facebook and Instagram ads. I, I can't take Fox Vending's money and like pour it into, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I realized very early that I never wanted this to be about making money. That was never what it was about. Like Dragonoli was not about me making money, like enriching myself. Dragonoli was about helping people. And so, yes, the more coffee we sell, the more people we help. And I do want that to ramp up, of course. But I very early on realized this is going to grow organically on its own. It's the only way it can grow right now. And I just have to be patient and trust every time I hear the universe talk to me and nudge me that I just listen. And I do feel like the universe is always listening or talking to us. We just have to tune in and listen. And I think alcohol takes away your ability to tune in. And I said this, um, I was actually, oh, we have to talk about the gratitude practice. So I, I have a gratitude practice every day. I write down, I got this from the Rachel Hollis conference as well. Every day I write down five things I'm grateful for from the day before. And well, I I do it in the morning. So it's from the day before. And it's not meant to be big, significant things, right? It's sunshine. I live in Chicago. It's gray half the year. Every time that sun shines, it's on my gratitude list because I genuinely feel gratitude. And what that has helped, honest to God, I get get, um, like seasonal affect disorder. That has gone away since I started the gratitude practice writing sunshine down. I'm not even being dramatic. Because it's almost like my gratitude tank. Every time I write sunshine down, it fills my tank up a little more. So when it's gray, I can draw from that. It's been amazing. So the gratitude practice, like if you do anything from this podcast, start writing five things down every day. Little things. Chat with my girlfriend. Snuggles with my dog. Sunshine. Yummy coffee in the morning. Great run. Whatever. Um, but the other thing I write down is 10 manifestations. And I write them down in a voice as if they've already happened. So... I completed 29029. That's now on my list. And as you knock things off, you add something else. So for the better part of two years, I have been writing down in this order, and I'll, and a few of things were just added, like 29029. But the first thing I write is I am sober, even though I haven't been. But every single day I write it. The second thing I write down is I was a guest on the Ritual podcast. I'll explain that in a minute. The third thing I write down is I do a t- I did a TED Talk. I gave a TED Talk. The fourth thing I write down is I wrote the, and I won't tell you the title of my book because I'll tell you off camera. Um, the next thing I write down is Dragonolia has a thousand stories. The next thing I write down is Fox Vending hits 10 million because that's what I want to sell. With COVID, I don't know. That, my, that goal might come off because that no longer interests me. But next one is um, I live in a house with a view. The next one is I live somewhere warm. The next one is I completed 29 or 29. And the next one is I am happy. And that's pretty subjective, but I know what it means to me. So the ritual podcast thing is I started listening to him probably two years ago. And he's another person that's like poured into my inspiration cup. And it's not that I want to go on his podcast because I want to be famous. But what that would mean to me is that I made enough of an impact in the world that he would deem me worthy of being a guest, right? Because I listen to the people on his podcast. And they've inspired me significantly and they've done amazing things. And so it's not about like, I want to get, like, I've never reached out to them to be on his podcast as a guest, nor would I. I literally just want to be living as a person in the world that perhaps one day he would think she would be a great guest to inspire the people that follow me. So that's what, where that comes from. But at the end of last year, he did this episode 
that it was, um, I think it was called Prophets Walk Among Us. And he had listeners, he allowed listeners to call in and share their stories. And so yours truly, of course, did. But when he announced it to do it, he made it seem like you could like go on forever. Well, how long have I been talking right now? Like, There's literally not a chance that I could have talked for like three minutes and told my story. So uh, you call in, you give your name, your number, permission to use this on air. And then they say, okay, now you have three minutes to record. And I was like, three minutes? I just wrote a short story. I'm, I'm going to need more like 30. So I, I start to, I had written it out and I start to read it. And of course it cuts me off. So I call back Jennifer again. And, um, I, I said, you know, I, I just wrote back I, or I said, I think in the voicemail, like I have more to say, like I kept reading it or something. And, but I had a connection with his producer. Like we're connected on social media is a super cool guy named Jason. And, um, we connected over the dragonfly, actually. Another little fun side story. He, I, I, I met Rich Roll in person at an, endurance, at an event, a health and wellness event that I went to. Um, I saw that it was advertised. This is all over the place. I saw that it was advertised in like Oswego, which is this random suburb, suburb in Chicago. So I reached out to the event organizers and I was like, is Rich Roll really going to like be at this event in person in Oswego or is this some kind of a Zoom situation? And they're like, no, no, he's committed to come in person. So I thought, well, I'm in, right? So I buy a ticket. And then I think I got to meet. Now I'm assuming that this is going to be like hundreds of people and I might not get to meet them. And maybe it's going to be like some kind of like meet and greet, smile. And and I wanted like quality time to just like introduce myself and tell them how much he's inspired me. So I'm like, well, if I if I sponsor the coffee with Dragonoia, which goes back to recovery and he's in recovery, then like I'll be on the inn and I'll be able to get there early. And maybe, so I'm like plotting in my head. And so I reach out, like, do you guys have a coffee sponsor? No, we don't. I'm like, well, what were you going to do for coffee? We were just going to go to Dunkin' Donuts. And I was kind of like, I've got one better for you. I'll give you free coffee. And they were like, great. So that's what I do. I end up meeting him. He was super cool. It was like literally everything that you would imagine he would be on steroids. He was so humble and kind. I even ran with him. He like, you know, appeased my ego by being like, if you really want to beat me, you better pick it up. I then came to find out he has spondy like I do. So that was why he was running so slow. But anyway, so I meet him. It was amazing. And I post the picture in his podcast group on Facebook. Immediately, I somebody likes it. The name sounds familiar. I'm like, Jason Camiolo. Why does that name sound so familiar? I think he might be part of the podcast. I go to the podcast website. I see he's the producer. I reach out to him. I share the Dragonolia website with Jason because he's got a dragonfly. He had just lost a friend. So the dragonfly was for her, his friend that he just lost, I think to suicide. And he messaged me back the next day and he writes, I love the universe and the universe loves me back. And that's what my brother says in the video on his story on the Dragonolia website. So I knew he had gone to it, which, which really touched my heart that he made the effort to do that because I'm sure most people don't. So anyway, we've been connected ever since, you know, I follow him and he follows me on Instagram and it's, you know, it's not like we have a personal relationship, friendship, but he's, you know, I follow him because of ritual. And so I reached out to him and said, Hey, just a heads up. I called in today and left my like fragmented story. I actually wrote it out and it's longer. If you're interested, I could read it like all in one thing. I was under the impression I would have been able to do that. And I never heard back. I would have never messaged him twice about it. I just, I, I wrote once and then forgot about it. And I think it was like we were going into Thanksgiving weekend last year. And he did message me back and just said like, oh, thanks. I'll take a look when I get to work on Monday. So I put it out of my mind. And then I didn't hear back that week. So I just chalked it off. I mean, I'm sure thousands of people called in or at least hundreds. 
And, uh, and then they, they called me like three weeks later and said, Hey, you know, wondering if you're available to read your whole story. And so I ended up being in that episode. And um, Rich actually shared my clip on his personal Facebook page. I think the comment, and I, who am I kidding? I know exactly what the comment said. It said this story's, this listener story speaks for itself. And, I, you know, it's like, that's not me on the Rich Roll podcast. <laughs> that's not what I was talking about. So I'm still writing it down because I have more work to do. And I do believe that just, I, it's just one step in front of the other. The Tamron Hall show, the this, the Dan Carity podcast. They're like, I just keep reaching for the next best thing. I just keep listening to the universe and I just keep tuning in. And I just know, I know that I'm on the right path to something. And I don't know what that something is. Um, but if it's just that it's this little Dragonolia community and we give a thousand dollars back, you know, to Heron Project every year, that's cool with me. Um, but I, knowing that it's making an impact even on that small scale is like everything. Yeah. So my friend Kevin just did the 2909. Oh, he did? Yeah. And I'm actually talking to him tomorrow. So he's Are you going to really do it? Amazing. Oh, you're going to be traveling. Yeah, I'm going to be traveling. But uh, Kevin's a really amazing photographer and adventurer. And so do you have any questions for him that you can ask now and yeah. that we'll answer tomorrow? Any, okay. Anything about 2909? You know what? I mean, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much you think you're prepared. Kind of like I said about losing my brother. I really, really thought I was prepared for that. And not only was I not prepared, I was like underprepared. I mean, I was woefully ill-prepared for that. Um, so doing hell on the hill, I thought I was prepared. No. So for me, it's like, there's nothing he can, what, what question am I going to ask? I almost don't want to know. I want to go into it with eyes wide open, feeling that I literally gave it my best leading into that three day experience and that I couldn't have given any more of myself. And then I emptied the tank on that mountain so I can be proud. I know I'll cry. Like I'll cry. I, it's, it's. I'd really love to get to the point of telling this story where I don't cry. I did today. It's a miracle. Um, but I almost did at that moment when I talked about the, the letter from jail. But I know I'm going to cry at the end because it's been such a ride. 49 years. It's been a ride. Like my first 28-day program was for my mom when I was 10 years old. And I remember I talked about this in, the, the, in Dan's podcast. I remember very clearly crying and saying, you know, mommy does not have a problem when I was being told that she was going to be gone for 28 days. I was 10. And I remember sitting at that Alateen meeting at, at, I believe it was Ingalls Hospital, if I recall correctly, around a round table with other kids. And I was not the kid that like raised, now I'm that person where I'll raise my hand. But like when I was a kid, I like never, I was the sponge. and we had to go around the table and talk about how we knew when our like parent, how we knew our parent had a problem. And, um, I indignant, like I would, didn't think she had a problem. And I was sitting there mad. I was mad and as, as a 10 year old, it was uncomfortable. And, and it got to this young boy and he was talking about how he knew that his mom had a problem because she kept open alcohol upright underneath the kitchen sink. And my mom did that in like every garbage can, like her bathroom garbage can. And that, and I just, I really to this day remember being like, oh my God, that's not normal. Like I didn't know that wasn't normal. So this has been my, I've been swimming in this my whole life, right? 
And then my parents' marriage wasn't great. And um, my mom's drinking got worse. And so I'm sure it's not easy to be married to an alcoholic. And I can tell you from working with my dad, whom I love, it's not easy to be married to somebody or be tied to somebody who has an anger management problem. And um, so my mom filed for divorce the summer before my junior year in high school. My sister was off at college. She went to U of I. She literally never moved back from Chicago, to Chicago, not even summers. After her freshman year in Champaign, she stayed in Champaign. So that ought to tell you something, right? So she never came back. So it's me, my two little brothers. And I don't want to sound like a martyr here. Like I said, I wasn't an academic. So like I had no business going to college anyway. But I stayed in Chicago and went to DePaul because I didn't want to leave my little, little brothers in this situation with like two parents who wouldn't move out of a house, like War of the Roses during a divorce. And I mean, it was just toxic. Like my whole life has been toxic. And so then my brothers come up, but you know, they've got problems and how couldn't they? I mean, it's just been a lot of dysfunction. Um, and so I, I've gotten this far, 49 years, I made it this far. That's pretty badass in my mind. And I don't mean that to be like, you know, but lesser people would have, wouldn't have survived. I don't know. I, I honestly say it's only by the grace of God that I got here relatively unscathed and normal and what's normal. But really, like, I think, I don't know. I, people look at me when I tell my story beginning to end, like, what? And I'm like, I, I couldn't, I'm literally telling you verbatim, like factual information. I'm not, I don't even have to dramatize it because it's all so crazy. And there are stories I wouldn't even tell, right? I, that are even more crazy. So going into 29029, it's just me. And that mountain is like the final thing that I need to conquer to have definitive proof that I don't need to look back on my sad, toxic story and that I can look forward and know that like I have taken all of that and I have built something beautiful to be really proud of, a life that I'm really proud of. Um, I have lived a charm life. I was spoiled. Uh, you know, my dad's business was flourished and, and I went to private school and I had all the nice things and I've never wanted for anything. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But I look at all of that and think I took a lot of tragedy and turned it into something good. And I didn't feel sorry for myself. And the only thing I can do now, because I didn't, I didn't choose this life. Like I just was born into it, right? I, I can't take credit for all the things that were handed to me, but I took all of that and I'm going to make something of it. And that makes me super proud. So like, I want to go to 29029 with my own, just like knowing I'm prepared to kill it on that mountain and really put this part of my story to peace. And that was another thing Lauren and I talked about last night, another kind of like aha moment. I have to write this down. I think like I listened to the Rich Rolls and the Jesse Itzlers and the Rachel Hollises and like all of these people that really inspire me. And Colin O'Brady, that's who I won the 29029 ticket through. And I feel like an imposter. Like I don't, I don't feel like my story measures up. And what I realized last night is that it's because I'm still in it. I haven't put that part of my story to peace yet, to bed. Like it's time now that I'm talking about it and I've talked about it multiple times on my podcast and I'm going to get that book written in 2023. I promise you that. Um, then it's time for me to put that to rest and look ahead and say, what's my next story? 
because, but I'm still in this story. And 29029 to me is the symbol of the last chapter of that story. I'm really like, but figuring that out last night, it was kind of like, oh, like, you know, the heavens opened. Um, but it's been a lot of soul searching, man, to get here. And um, so I'm sure your friend Kevin will tell me nothing that I don't already assume, which is it's brutally hard. Be prepared. Da, 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 da. Um, and I think at the end of the day, what I did at Hell on the Hill proves to me beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I set my mind to something, the body follows because that was the hardest thing I've ever done and my whole body hurt and I have spondy and I have stenosis and like, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I negative split. I like just finished the Chicago Marathon and I don't know if you'd call it running what I did because my spondy and stenosis has been like really flared up for five to six months. And I power walked the last 10 miles and it like hurt more than running. And so I would try to run, but I had nothing in me to run. And I come to find out that like within 30 minutes of crossing that finish line, my entire body inflamed into a respiratory infection. So I had had a head cold, but I woke up the morning of the marathon feeling, feeling fine. So I like took some Sudafed and went about my day. So the reason I couldn't run the last 10 miles is because I had no cardiac, like cardio ability because I had like an infection in my lungs. But the fact that I finished that, I have no idea where I pulled that out of. It was the most painful experience. Hell on the Hill was still harder because it was only four hours. Um, so I'm not, I know 29 or 29 is going to be awesome. And when you're surrounded by people that, that spend $5,000 on a three-day endurance event, you know, you're surrounded by your people, right? Like that's a lot of money and a lot of people can't afford to do that. Um, I'm super grateful I won the ticket. So um, that's another reason why I don't want to let them down. But I am excited to like all the people I'm going to meet. I follow the page. I watched every single event this year. I'm sure I've seen your friend Kevin in a video. Um, and it's all just, that's like that, those are my people. And I spent the first two decades of, decades of my adulthood, my 20s and my 30s, and half of my 40s, not surrounded by my people. And like I said, no ill will or negative knock to the people that were in my life because they supported me the best they knew how. But the change that has been in my life, complete 180 in terms of who I reach for now, like those are my people. Those are the people I want to be surrounded by. People filling me up, lifting me up, making me want to do better. Not intentionally, not like they're speaking at me, but by example, like they're leading by example. And then I want to be that leader for the people behind me who haven't gotten there yet. And that, that just like that, that is my purpose. I just know it. I know I spent a lot of time in my life. I spent a lot of time in my twenties feeling like I was going to die young. Don't know why I told my mom that I used to cry all the time. I just felt this innate knowing that I was going to die young. And I literally, oh my God, it's almost like right now in this moment, I literally realized that this is what it was. Like, this is what my intuition was telling me back then is like this person that I've been, that person's finally going to be put to rest. And this new person, like in my mind, it was, I'm dying like from earth. I'm going to be gone as a physical person. And now I realize like, no, your purpose on this earth was to survive everything that you've survived so that you can now take this next chapter of your life. How, how like cool that it's 50, right? I'm going to be 50 next year. I love aging. It's so <laughs> my ex-husband used to be like, you are the only person that literally when somebody asks their age, you say like how old you're going to be. 
And I'm like older and wiser, baby. Like I would never go back to my 20s. But how cool that that person is gone. That person has died inside of me. And like this new person has been born. And I get to carry this message on into the next 50 years of my life and make me really proud of like leaving something that I can be proud of that my brother's daughter, who I brought to story night last night, um, that she can be proud of and that it's just not a sad story. Like it's not, oh, the foxes were troubled. Like I can take all of that and make something beautiful out of it. And that's, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, we could definitely keep going I and know, keep talking. I know. Yeah, um, I think that's a good place, as Rich would say, to put a pin in it <laughs> or land the plane. Land the plane. Um, one last question. What does Live a Great Story mean to you? Oh, I remember when you asked me that. You remember when you asked me that in 2020? And I had no idea what to say. Um, you know, we all have the same opportunity. We really do. We all were born into lots of different circumstances, wealthy, poor, but we really do all have the same 24 hours in a day and the same opportunities out there, especially in this country. And we all have a story. Some people, some people have a really beautiful family and have no idea, you know, like they don't know any of this kind of pain. They really don't have that kind of story. I know a handful of them. A friend of mine, Michael, came to Justin's wake and he just stood in front of me, speechless. He literally just stood there like this. And I just said, I know. And I gave him a hug. He's somebody that like has six kids of his own. He comes from a big family. I think of like nine, 10 or 11 or something. Beautiful parents, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, I don't, I have never had anything even remotely close to this happen to me. But I think those people are few and far between, right? I think most people have a story. So what Live a Great Story means to me is really being mindful of the fact that you have a choice. You have a choice in how you live your life. You have a choice in how you, um, in what you consume, right? Like social media, you have a choice. You can consume a lot of, a lot of political crap, which admittedly I it, it consumed way too much over the last three months. Or you can consume a lot of inspirational stuff that's going to nudge you in the right direction. That's a choice. You have a choice of what kind of story you are creating. Like you have the power over your choice of what you do every day, how you wake up, what time you wake up, what you eat, what you drink. Do you exercise? Who do you hang out with? What do you consume? And you can live a great story. And your story can be based on the foundation of toxicity and sadness and like loss and grief. But you can still live a great story. You can still take all of that and say, what can I learn from all of this so I can take it as the ingredients and make it a great story? And I think that's what I've done with my life. So that's what it, like meeting you, and it wasn't you that I met first. It was just an ad on Facebook. But that's triggered a letter that I sent out to 200 people with a sticker. I still hand your sticker out to random strangers at least once a week. Cab drivers, Lyft drivers, Uber drivers, random people I meet in the airport. I, I gave it to my Lyft driver yesterday. Like I have them on me all the time and I hand them out to people all the time. Live a great story. And I don't, I don't know if they go and follow you, right? But I always am trying to pass on that message that like everyone has a story and you have a choice. You can feel sorry for yourself because your story is what it is. You can take it and make it something that makes you proud. And that's what I've done. And I'm, I'm super grateful for you and our friendship and your inspirations. A young man inspiring somebody like 20, almost 20 years, almost 20 years as senior. Um, everything that you're putting out into the world is just magic. You have sunshine in your eyes. I love that. And like wonder. I love everything that you're doing with your life. 
And I'm going to keep sp spreading that message and I'm going to keep spreading the message of Dragonoia and inviting people to share their stories of recovery so we can inspire other people to like live healthy lives. I would love for you to share your story, depending on what your sobriety journey is going to look like. Um, one day that would kind of be magical for you to come back and share with my community. But that is what it means to me is it's a message to everybody that you and you alone have the choice to take your life, whatever it may be, and make it into what you want. And it can be great. And great doesn't mean you're a millionaire. Great doesn't mean you're famous. Great doesn't mean you're a hundred pounds. Like grace doesn't, great, great doesn't mean all the things that mainstream social media would tell you is great. Great is whatever great is for you. And what's great for me is knowing that I'm inspiring other people to evaluate the relationship with alcohol and perhaps make better, healthier, healthier choices. That's great. If I never make money on it, if I, you know, but that's my great. It's very simple. So that's what it means to me. And it means we're friends. It means I got a new friend. Appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Hugs? Yeah. <laughs>